Good morning, Christ City. Would you please stand with me as we read God's word? Our text today is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the flood came and the wind blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Remain standing as we pray. It is truly right to glorify you, Father, and to give you thanks for you alone are God, living and true, dwelling in light, inaccessible from before time and forever, fountain of all life and source of all goodness. You made all things and filled them with your blessing. You created them to rejoice in the splendor of your radiance. Countless throngs of angels stand before you to serve you night and day and behold the glory of your presence. We glorify your name and lift our voices in joyful praise, crying, holy, holy, holy. Confession time. I grew up in a church, and I'm not sure if it's a blessing or some sort of weird, twisted curse, but whenever I read this text that we read this morning, my mind instantly travels back to a seven-year-old Heath, sitting in a church basement, sitting on one of these little chairs, singing a song with these actions going with it, and the teacher was narrating the song with like a flannel board, you know, it's like really early. Nowadays, teachers narrate with like stop-motion Lego. As culturally weird and as different as that is, possibly irrelevant, the genius of it is, is that 40 years later, I still remember the tune and the lyrics. So here we go. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Okay, I'm going to leave it there because I'll traumatize you. But you get the idea. As a child, I acted like a child. I thought like a child, and I did not understand the serious nature of this text, this parable. In the ease and playful tune of this, uh, of this song, I did not connect that in wrapping up this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us to a radical obedience. He calls us to himself. He calls us to himself and he gives us two alternatives, two alternative endings, one of, of, of security with him, the other utter ruin, almost like a Mad Max apocalyptic type dissolution and, and judgment. Now, it's, it's kind of crazy for a kid's song if you really think about it. Now, some of you, like me, have grown up in the church and you've been cruising through this Sermon on the Mount. You're just like a kid and you're singing the song and listening to the tune and you're watching the flannel board characters, but but deep down you're like immune to the absolute claims of Jesus Christ. You're immune to his call of righteousness and you're immune to his, his call for obedience, not comprehending that this is a life and death situation. It's quite possible to sing this song, do the actions, and not actually meet the giver of the sermon. This is what Jesus has been driving home for us in the past few weeks. In the story of the narrow gate and the wide gate, Jesus divides Moral from immoral people. Ethical from non-ethical. In talking about trees, Jesus divides false professing, you know, would-be supposers, givers of truth from his true teaching. Good fruit from bad fruit, essentially. Last week, Jake confronted us with the reality that we can sing the song, dance the dance, and showboat in our own terms and live possibly with false assurance, not really understanding Jesus or his words. Now, some of you might not have grown up in the church. Some of you actually might still be wondering today, 
How do I know if I passed through the right gate? How do I know if I'm on the right road? How do I know what kind of tree I am? How do I know if I'm accepted? How do I know? See, even our Netflix binging habits kind of reflect this anxiety. You know, as a popular sitcom illustrates, you know, am I in the good place or am I in the bad place? Does Jesus teach here some sort of weird twisted meritocracy where, you know, Ted Danson is the architect? I doubt it. But there is still much confusion inside and outside the church concerning this dilemma. Fortunately for us in this text, Jesus has answers. But today, the knife cuts close to home. It's deep. And we have the conclusion here of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We have one final story, one final plea for him, for us as listeners, to listen to what he says and do what he says. This is Jesus' call to action. In Jesus' final words here in the Sermon on the Mount, we have an outline as follows. Two hearers of words, two foundations, and two outcomes. Two hearers of words. Let's revisit the text here in verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Contrast that with verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. In contrast of this comparison of wise and foolish, if it sounds familiar to you, it should. Jesus is using common wisdom language found all over the scriptures, and particularly highlighted most acutely in the book of Proverbs. Turn with me, for instance, to Proverbs chapter 10, verses 8 and 14. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but the babbling fool will come to ruin. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Proverbs 14, 11, or 1 and 11 say, The wisest of women build her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. You get the idea here. In these texts, they're contrasting wise and foolish wordplay, and we find this radical call to obedience, call to obedience to the word of God, his commandments, a call to be wise and not foolish. It's a central theme throughout the entirety of scripture, but particularly in wisdom literature. The difference here in chapter 7 that Matthew portrays to us, Jesus' words, he says, Jesus calls us to his words, to listen to his words. Everyone who hears these words of mine. We need to remember that at the very front of our thinking, Jesus does not just reinterpret things for us. He doesn't reinterpret the law. He inserts himself into the law as its author, its architect, and the fulfillment of the law. His, the, his voice, therefore, is authoritative. His word is superior. His word is true and ultimately what we are to listen to and to do. But isn't all this do language, isn't this just some call to action on a, based on meritocracy? Like, you know, isn't this works-based righteousness as some other people have said? Now, to help us understand this reality, there's a real fine nuance here. New York author and pastor Tim Keller, he says this in one of his books. The gospel is a set of beliefs to understand and believe. It cannot remain a set of beliefs if it is truly believed and understood. Let me read that again. The gospel is a set of beliefs to understand and believe. It cannot remain a set of beliefs if it is truly believed and understood. See, if these words of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount do not move from our head to our hearts to our arms and our legs, 
Jesus says we're foolish people. Foolish. Do you see the difference here? This is not a meritocracy. You know, I do, therefore I'm accepted. No, this is what James, the brother of Jesus, he says for us in James chapter 1. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Some of us may wish we want to do that. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Later, in Matthew chapter 15, quoting Isaiah 29, Jesus says this. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain teaching, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. To borrow Keller's language again, Jesus' words for us here, in this sermon on the mount, are a set of beliefs to understand and believe. But as Jesus highlights for us today, his words must not remain a set of beliefs only if they are truly believed and understood. If there was was a transition, there has to be rather, a transition from our head to our hearts and our hands to be wise. If his words stay on the ideological level, you know, a mental exercise, you know, analyzed, parsed, you know, studied in isolation in a silo, honoring with our lips, as Isaiah says, teaching solely from a construct, if that's only in our head, then Jesus calls us foolish. And that leads us to our second point. What's so special about Jesus' words anyway? We need to look at two foundations. Now, having lived in the Mediterranean for the better part of a decade, I understand the geographical context here that Jesus takes for granted in his hearers. Even though this metaphor is pretty obvious, pretty plain, and easy to understand, there's a subtle nuance that I want to highlight here. So as a family, we would spend each summer on our summer holidays um, going to the beach. Now, I know it's hard for Vancouverites to understand, but you can actually get sick of going to the beach. So to create, you know, kind of some variety in the mundane, what we would do on our holidays, we would have beach day, castle day, beach day, castle day. So one day, you're trudging through knee-deep, perfect white sand looking for an ultimate secluded beach. The next, you're scaling a 2,000-foot cliff, kind of weaving away through like prickly pear cactus to get to the top of a fortress that had been there for 3,000 years. It's amazing. I'm not an armchair expert. But let me tell you, I've looked at my fair share of ruins, and I will tell you that only foundations and buildings that are built on foundations of solid rock are the ones that are still standing thousands of years later. The other geographical bit of information that we need, that we take for granted, is the predictable yet seemingly volatile nature of the weather in the fall, particularly in the month of November. When Jesus says, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, Jesus is talking about November. Volatile weather is true, and it's a predictable reality in the Mediterranean basin. The weather is extreme and predictable. But tragically, in Greece anyway, either through carelessness or by accident or a combination of the both, people lose their lives every single year due to the combination of water, wind, mud, and rain. The sad reality is it's predictable and it's avoidable. This is what Jesus is telling us here in our text. Destruction is predictable, but it can also be avoidable. 
The issue, per se, isn't what is built. It's what it's built upon. Now, you could have two houses, same blueprints, same siding, same front doors, same roof lines, same shingles, and, and you won't see any difference at all until the weather comes. And when the weather beats down upon it, you will be tested the difference in the house by whether or not the foundation, structural integrity, remains. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, if the weather comes. It's when it comes. In other words, bad weather in life happens to us all. For instance, a global pandemic. Now, it really, you know, a virus isn't selective on, you know, you know affecting, infecting people that uh, we think deserve judgment. No, it affects us all. This pandemic has affected us all. Just as though water doesn't care which way it goes as long as it's downhill. Just as rain, wind, and flooding come to us all, so do the difficulties and hardships in life. And particularly, we're noticing this during a pandemic. What makes the difference, what makes the difference between survival and destruction is the foundation. That's how it's avoidable. The merit of the survivability of the structure is in the foundation. Is it strong? Is it solid rock? Is it unaffected by the elements? Or is it malleable like shifting sand? Jesus is saying here to us, in these words, if you hear my words and you do them, we are like a wise builder. We are like a builder who follows the blueprints, who understands the geography, the topography, the climate, and builds the house in the right spot with the right foundation impervious to the elements. Contrast that with a foolish person who hears the words, doesn't really do them. In effect, choosing to, you know, pick, hey, me, this looks good, near the beach, that would be awesome. Built on a sandy surface. It's easier to build, I can enjoy more time and have more cocktails. Yeah, you know, Jesus calls those people foolish. The application for us today is jarringly obvious in its absolute nature. But it must be stated plainly. Jesus makes the claim here that either you follow the blueprints and you build your life on him, on his foundation, on his word through obedience, or you throw out the prints and you build your life on a pantheistic collection of other ideologies and beliefs that equate to particles of sand which under pressure slips through your fingers. The choice is ours. Jesus' words for us in this Sermon on the Mount are a set of beliefs to understand and believe. But as Jesus states here, to have a foundation built upon rock, his words must not remain a set of beliefs. They must not remain a set of beliefs if they are truly believed and understood. This brings us to our last point. Two outcomes. Now, contrary to the happy-go-lucky nature of the children's song that I horribly sang earlier, this parable does not end on a happy note. It doesn't come to an end of, of joyous uh, celebration of a wise man who uh, decides, oh, you know, extolling his virtues about being a wise and smart builder. No, it ends with apocalyptic-type destruction, calamity to those who do not listen and are labeled as foolish. Look at verse 27. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This text is not completely future-oriented. But, see, Jesus is concerned about how we live here and now, but it's predictive concerning what happens if you build your structures on sand. Literally, um, the Greek means here a mega fall, like a mega crash. The outcome of a wise person, then, in verse 25, says this, 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. Jesus does not base his command to hear and obey on a good, bad, you know, good place, bad place kind of binary metric here. What he does do is he bases that upon a a wise and foolish metric. And the merit is based, as what we saw earlier, on the foundation, not on our actions and thereof. If we hear Jesus' words and do not do them, then our foundation will be one of shifting sand. And our life and our future will be at risk, marked by utter destruction. The hardships of life will assail us and we will come wanting. But if we hear these words of Jesus in his sermon and do them, our merit is based upon the words of Jesus. And his foundation of rock becomes our foundation. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His life and future become our life and future. So the question really then is, how do we know what foundation do we have? How do we know if we're wise or foolish? How do we evaluate during a global pandemic when, how do you know your foundation won't crack under the pressure of finance, loneliness, depression, and anxiety? How do you know you won't crack if you're an extrovert and stuck alone by yourself or an introverted stuck with the rest of your family? How do you know? James, the brother of Jesus, understanding this kind of nagging question, he highlights an answer for us in James chapter 3. He says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But wisdom... Wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I don't know about you, but this is condemning and telling. During this, this reign of a global windstorm of a pandemic, we have a unique opportunity to examine our foundations. When everything seems to be pulled in and the margins of life evaporate, what starts to show? What shows? And if you don't know, if you're too thick into it, ask your spouse, your friend, or your kids. Because let me tell you, they will tell you. So in your stress and in your anxiousness and your anxiety, are you envious of others? Are you jealous? Are you exhibiting raw, selfish ambition? Are you ruthless? Are you trying to hold on to power with everything that is in you? Or are you exhibiting humility? Are you a peacemaker? Are you considerate? Are you submissive? Are you impartial? Are you full of mercy? Are you one who is reaping a harvest of righteousness? What is this time in history revealing in your hearts right now? I know we've had three months of self-isolated introspection for some of us, but, but pause this video for a second and truly, honestly, evaluate yourself. Evaluate what your foundation looks like. Give a serious look at it. If you found yourself wanting this morning, 
If you found yourself wanting during this time of pandemic and realized that your foundation is pieced together with particles of sand, spit, blood, and everything else that's disgusting, if your foundation looks more like a cat litter sandbox than a rock pile, you may be asking yourselves, what do I do about it? Am I stuck? Where do I go from here? You need to once again listen to the words of Jesus in all of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. And you need to realize that we all come to Jesus wanting. We are all poor in spirit. We all need to receive the righteousness that Jesus has and gives us in order to have wisdom and to have this wisdom from heaven that James describes for us. There is hope. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. These verses saved my life because I was stuck right there. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Christ City, here we have the same call to obedience that Jesus gives us. We have the same words of walking as he walked. But in hope, recognizing that we're not all there, John highlights for us a path forward, a way, a way to deal with this when our foundations are riddled with sand and we are left wanting. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is an acknowledgement that we need to walk. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the propitiation for our sins. Christ City, as Jesus has already articulated, our outcome, our sandy foundation is in utter ruins. Destruction. We deserve destruction and judgment. John tells us here that we are left wanting. Jesus took upon himself our utter ruin. He took upon himself our destruction, our judgment. He is our advocate. It's like he's pleading with God himself on our behalf and he bears the destruction that the weather, weather deserves to give us, he gives to Jesus. This is what it means for Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins because he gives us a new foundation so we can weather the storm through Jesus. Christ City, do not walk away this morning. Do not walk away without this hope. Do not walk away without understanding this in this difficult time that when we've ex been exposed to bitterness and jealousy and frustration and anger and neuroses, we are given an opportunity to hear afresh the words of Jesus and actually be able to do what he says because he is our advocate and he is our propitiation. The only question really left is how do we respond? I'll leave you with the words of Tim Keller. The gospel is a set of beliefs to understand and believe. It cannot remain a set of beliefs if it's truly believed and understood. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we come before you wanting. We are broken. 
We confess that we so often either completely ignore your words and are deaf and, and end up in utter destruction, or, or we also just try in a meritocracy kind of way to just kind of do, 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 do. So Lord, please forgive us. I ask that by your son's blood that he has given for us that we can be made fresh and new, that we can actually hear what you say and do the things that you command us to. In the power of your son who sits at your right hand, we ask these things in your name. Amen.